0: How's life going for you now? Are you struggling? Under pressure? Afraid? Feel like you fight one battle after another? Hi I'm Yvonne Pran, and welcome to Bible 805. In today's podcast I've got some encouragement for you as we look at the book of Joshua on how to fight and win in the battles of life. The first step to winning in the battles of life is to realize that you're in a battle. A lot of times Christians have been told that the Christian life is supposed to be just really easy and one happy experience after another, and they are so surprised when difficult things come along. But we need to remember that the Bible describes the Christian life in this way. And I will be reading, by the way, I'm going to be reading a lot of verses today out of some of the more modern translations. I won't necessarily stop each time to tell you that this is out of the message or this is out of today's living Bible or this is out of Phillips, it will all be documented in the notes that you can get on the website, www.bible805.com. But if it's in a more colloquial wording, you'll know that's where it comes from. And this first one, by the way, it is out of the message where it says, This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This, and again it's referring to the Christian life, is for keeps a life-or-death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels." That's in Ephesians 6.12. And then in 2 Timothy 2.3-7 it says, Take your share of suffering, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, just as I do, Paul's speaking here, and as Christ's soldier, do not let yourself become tied up in worldly affairs, for then you can't satisfy the one who has enlisted you in his army. Charles Spurgeon, who is one of my favorite Bible commentators, in his commentary on the book of Joshua, he says this a merely nominal profession of the Christian life is easy enough to make and to maintain after the manner of the times, but to be a Christian indeed, through and through, to eat and drink and sleep eternal life, to live the life of God on earth, this is the work, this is the difficulty. As soon as you are washed in Christ's blood and clothed in his righteousness, you must begin to hew your way through a lane of enemies right up to the eternal throne. Every foot of the way will be disputed. Not an inch will Satan yield to you. You must continue daily to fight. Now, once we realize that we're in a war, that we have battles to fight, the question is, what do we do then to win? And the Bible, of course, has really great advice for us. 2 Corinthians 10 says, For though we live in the world we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. And so what are the weapons that we fight with? Now, of course, there is that wonderful passage in Ephesians 6 where it tells us how we can put on the whole armor of God. And that's a good thing to read through, but we won't go into that right now. I want to focus on Romans 15, 4, where it says, Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures, Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And you see, all of the examples, the lessons, the things that we need to learn to get through our struggles in life, God's provided stories, answers, and encouragement in the Bible. So, what I want us to look at now, and one of the best ones on how to fight and win is the book of Joshua. So that's what we're going to look at. The book of Joshua opens with the Israelites getting ready to go into the promised land. Moses had recently died, but before that, he had of course passed on the leadership mantle to Joshua. Now God was giving them the land, but they didn't just get the waltz right in and take it. They still had to fight for it. And it took them about seven years to do all of that fighting to get the land. So what we're going to look at today is all of the lessons that we can learn from them as they went through these battles. And one of the things that I want you to remember right from when we start is sometimes even though we are exactly where God wants us to be, doing exactly what he wants us to do, which is where the Israelites were at this place. They had gone through their time of punishment. They were where God wanted them to be. But they they still had a tremendous amount of struggle and fighting ahead of them we're going to go through a series of lessons in the book and then after each one then after each one i give you some suggestions for how you can apply what we've looked at now In the book of Joshua, you're not only going to see encouraging applications, but also warnings, because in the book, it not only shows how we can fight successfully, but also what happens if we don't completely listen to God. So, let's go ahead and get started. Lesson number one. God's blessings often include challenges. One of the most important things to learn in the Christian life is that we can never get to a place where we think we've done all that we can do to grow as a Christian, where we've been through enough, where we say, God, okay, I've had enough troubles, I've worked hard enough, now I'm just going to coast. We can't ever do that. Now, the, the children of Israel, they were delivered from Egypt, they wandered for 40 years, but even if they hadn't sinned, Okay. They would have still, if they would have just gone right into the Promised Land, they would have still had to fight for the land. They would have still had to fight the seven years of bloody battles. And in situations like this, and let's face it, in all of our lives, we often say to God, Why? Why are you putting me through all this? I thought I was supposed to be blessed and protected. Well, you are being blessed and protected, but just in a way that might not be so apparent. To illustrate this, first of all, I want to start out with a couple of verses that are really kind of challenging and it's sort of difficult to know how to obey them. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to the people, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, we might look at that and go, well, I don't know how we're supposed to do that. But then also in his conversation with the rich young ruler, Jesus said to him, If you will be perfect. Go and sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. Well, those verses are really challenging, and they're really hard, because we want to be obedient, but... We don't know how to become perfect. Well this is this is this is really kind of neat. Um, let me read you another verse and then I will get into a little bit more of the meaning of the verse where it says in James one two through four, My brothers, count it all joy when you fall into different trials, trials of many kinds, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You see, what this verse tells us is the way to perfection is through trials. Now, it is confusing because we really don't understand the meaning of that word perfect. And in the Greek, and I think this will help a lot, it's the word teleos. And I just love that, that word. It's, it's also the word, by the way, at the end of Jesus' life when he was on the cross and he said, It is finished. It's the same root word, "telestai." It is finished. And what this means when it's translated perfect, it doesn't mean without sin or flawless or anything like that. It means complete. In the Greek definition of the word is complete. It is complete in um, growth, mental, and moral character. You become a full adult, completeness in uh, the... Uh, Blue Letter Bible and some other commentaries, the outline of biblical usage defines it in this way, brought to its end, finished, wanting nothing necessary to complete this, consummate human integrity and virtue, full-grown mature. So you see, when Jesus is telling us that he wants us to be perfect, he's saying he wants us to grow up. He wants us to be mature in our faith. And you see, we can't get that oftentimes in any other way than by trials and tribulations. It, we, that's how we learn. It would be easy if we would learn in simpler ways, but chances are we we won't we have to oftentimes learn through difficult times there are two other reasons why we continue to have battles in our lives that i want to share one of them this first verse i just love this passage it's in psalm 84 5 through 7 where it says happy are those who are strong in the lord who want above all else to follow your steps when they walk through the valley of weeping or sometimes in some translations it says the valley of Baca, but the actual translation is the valley of weeping it will become a place of springs where pools of blessing and refreshment collect after the rains. They will grow constantly in strength, and each of them is invited to meet with the Lord in Zion. And what this verse is saying, and how it's really encouraged me, is that when we walk through the Valley of Weeping, it can actually be a time of real blessing and refreshment. Sometimes we only learn really important things that change our lives when we're going through tough times. And then after that, of course, in 2 Corinthians, it tells us that God comforts us in all our afflictions so that we're able to comfort others. And he goes on to say, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And so important, this idea that we are comforted by God. God, and then we can comfort other people. I know in in some of my more cynical times in life, when someone gives me advice, if they haven't been through the thing that they're trying to give me advice on, I don't really care to listen to them. (laughs) Um, But if somebody's been through really tough times, and they talk about that, and they say, this is how God helped me in this situation. This is how I got through that. This is how I was able to trust him. Then I will listen to them more. And I think that's, That's one of those things that we can trust God that when we've been through tough times, he will use that to help others. So let me just review why we have trials. First of all, the first one is so we will be mature, complete, all God wants us to be so that we can grow in spiritual strength and make difficulties a source of blessing not only to us but so that we can be a comfort to others. And knowing that these things that we will get from our trials, let's now get into the book of Joshua and look at some additional lessons. Lesson number two in Joshua and what I'm doing is I'm just going through the book. I will point out different things that happened and then an application from it. It starts out where God encourages Joshua. He says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then, You will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The lesson here is that successful battle plans must be founded on God's Word. We must know the right way to go when we're confronted with challenges, because there will always be another way to do it, maybe an easier way, maybe a more human way, maybe a way where we won't have to struggle, but we have to stick to what is in God's Word. And here's the key, this passage talks about meditating on it, keeping it with you all all the time thinking about it and the reason this is so important is when you're confronted with a trial when you're confronted with a difficulty you don't have time to look stuff up quickly I've, I've talked about this before it's got to be in your heart it's got to be part of you that old illustration where they talk about the way that you can tell counterfeit money from money that is legitimate is you don't study the counterfeits you study the real thing So that when you see a counterfeit, you know it immediately. And that's how we need to be in studying God's word. We know God's word so well that when a situation comes up, we're faced with a decision. We don't have to look at all the bad things or whatever. We just know, no, God wouldn't want me to do that. That wouldn't be pleasing to him. So, number one, successful battle plans must be founded on God's word. Actually, that's lesson number two. But remember that. Uh, Lesson number three, great victories often are given to us before great trials. Now, the way it worked out with the children of Israel is they approach the Jordan River entrance into the Promised Land and God miraculously parts the waters like he did when their ancestors left Egypt. Very exciting time. And then it says in Joshua 4, 4, It was a tremendous day for Joshua. The Lord made him great in the eyes of all the people of Israel, and they revered him as much as they had Moses, and respected him deeply all the rest of his life. And then another great thing happens when, as Joshua is sizing up the city of Jericho, a man appears to him, and it's obviously someone very impressive, and um, Joshua says, Who are you? And he says, I am the commander-in-chief of the, the commander of the Lord's armies. And Joshua falls to the ground and says, Give me your commands. Now, we don't know whether this was an angel or an appearance of the pre Christ, but it was a very significant thing, and it let Joshua know that God was going to be with him, fighting the battles with him. Now, the application here is that God can do miracles, and he's always there. But we still have to do the fighting. Oftentimes, after great miracles, great times of trusting God, you'll just be slammed with something that will happen in your life. And I've, as I've I've grown in the Lord, I, I kind of all come to expect it. Almost always, if I've done something that I feel like, oh, this is really a good thing to do, oftentimes, maybe I've, I've taught something that i worked on for a long time, and I feel like God blessed it, and maybe people learned, and things like that invariably, I will be massively discouraged shortly after that. Not for for any particular reason, but it just often happens. So a lot of times when uh, really good things are happening, trust God, praise Him in that time, but be aware that it, it doesn't always last. You have to continue to fight. And then lesson number four, Trust that God goes before you to prepare the way. This is one of the things that I think is so exciting. Um, Some of the older Christians talked about the providence of God and how God will prepare people and prepare situations. And many of us have been in those, those kind of situations. It's interesting with the children of Israel how 40 years earlier, the spies were afraid of the people of the land. They, just, they were terrified. What they didn't know is that the people of the land were afraid of them. They didn't find that out until they got into the land, and the spies visited the city of Jericho. Rahab, the harlot, hides them, and before they leave, she says, I know God has given you the land. We're all afraid. Everyone in the country feels hopeless. We heard how God dried up the waters of the Red Sea before when you left Egypt, and what he did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you put under a holy curse and destroyed. We heard it, and our hearts sank. We had all the wind knocked out of us. And because of you, you and God, your God, God of the heavens above and the earth below. God oftentimes is preparing the way in in ways that we don't see, we don't understand. And sometimes it can come from really unusual sources. So trust God, charge ahead in many instances, and don't look down on anyone who may want to join with you. Rahab was a prostitute but she totally trusted the God of Israel. She went on to be a woman who was commended for her faith, and she actually was an ancestor of Jesus. Now, the next lesson, lesson number five, make sure you've taken care of basic obedience. After the spies returned from visiting Jericho, The nation of Israel had a couple things they needed to take care of. First of all, all of the males needed to be circumcised. This was God's command to Abraham, and this is something that he wanted them to do to identify as his people. But they had not obeyed that during their years of wilderness wandering. So God said, you have to take care of this. They did. They also needed to celebrate Passover, remembering and celebrating God's deliverance. Our application here is obvious. Where are you on your basic relationship with Jesus? Have you accepted Him as your Savior? If you haven't, that's the starting point. You can't count on His help or His guidance if you haven't done that. You need to make Him your Savior and your leader. Are you, as far as you know... All caught up on confessing your sins, living the life that you're supposed to live? Have you been baptized if you're a Christian? Are you part of a body of believers? Are you as obedient as you know to be? Now, again, you can't expect God's help if you're living in disobedience and sin. You've got to take care of those things first. But do that. That gives you a solid foundation to go forward. Lesson number six. Do things God's way, no matter what. Now, first of all, they did a good thing. Joshua said to them as they were getting ready to conquer Jericho, and this is, by the way, we need to do what, what we feel God wants, even though it might seem a little weird, where he's, uh, Joshua tells them, your entire army, or God tells him, and then Joshua passes it on, your entire army is to walk around the city once a day for six days, followed by seven priests walking ahead of the ark, each carrying a trumpet made from ram's horn. On the seventh day, you're going to walk around the city seven times with the priests blowing their trumpets. Then, when they give one long, loud blast, all the people are to give a mighty shout, and the walls of the city will fall down, then move in the city from every direction. So, they did that, which must have been really strange for both them and the people in the city, and it happened exactly as God said it would. But that wasn't all. In the same passage, God also said, Don't take any loot, for everything is to be destroyed. If it isn't, disaster will fall upon the entire nation of Israel. All the silver and gold and utensils of bronze and iron will be dedicated to the Lord and brought into his treasury. Now, they obeyed the first thing, but they didn't obey the second one. A man named Achan stole some things, and because of that, they were defeated in their next battle. So, lesson number seven is, if you mess up, if you sin, you need to deal with it. Here's what happened after they were defeated. Joshua cried out to the Lord, Oh Jehovah, why have you brought us over the Jordan River if you're going to let the Amorites kill us? Why weren't we content with what we had? Why didn't we stay on the other side? Oh Lord, what am I to do now that Israel's fled from her enemies? And he's whining and he's whining. And the Lord said to Joshua, Get up off your face. He said that. That's that's actually um, in the Bible. Um, Israel has sinned and disobeyed my commandment and has taken loot when I said it was not to be taken. And they have not only taken it, they lied about it and they've hidden it. That is why the people of Israel are being defeated. That is why your men are running from their enemies, for they are cursed. I will not stay with you any longer unless you completely rid yourselves of the, this sin." pretty tough passage, but this is a biblical principle. We can't be sinning and expect God to bless us and to help us win our battles. If things go badly, we need to pause and we need to pray. Now, a number of times it isn't sin. You know, things are just continuing to go badly, but we always have to stop and ask and ask God if you honestly don't know, but don't whine about it take an honest evaluation and and like the Lord said to Joshua get up off your face and deal with it no matter how hard it might be and it will always be hard a lot of times when we're Involved in spiritual battles or battles, it involves fighting with other people. And now we probably won't be asked to kill someone to to punish them for their sin. But I guarantee, because I face this myself a number of times, I work a secular job to um, support this podcast and and various ministry things. And in that job, a number of times I'm, I'm in a position where I have to challenge people, and I have to say, "No, we're not going to do this." Particular thing in business the way you want to because that simply is not right. I am a Christian. My company works in a way that tries to honor Christ, and we're just not going to do it. People's response to that is never, oh, I am so thankful that you pointed out how we are supposed to serve God, even though that is going to cost us money. I do so respect you for your stand in this. That is not what happens. And I will frequently get very negative feedback. I will get bad attitudes. But most of the time, eventually, people see that that's the right thing to do. But even if they don't, we have to deal with things that are wrong, the things, things that are not pleasing to the Lord. The next lesson is a similarly difficult one. Lesson number eight, don't trust appearances. Always seek God's will and peace before moving forward. Now in Joshua 9, we have this rather interesting story that, as Rahab had said, all of the people of the land were terrified of the Israelites. And this one particular group, the Gibeonites, they decided that instead of trying to fight, they would try deception. So they put on really worn out clothes and and they brought along dried out wineskins, and they show up at that camp of Israel and they say we have come from a very far away place make peace with us um, you know we're not anywhere nearby but we've heard how tough you are we just want to be sure that's okay well it says that Joshua and the leaders looked at their clothes and looked at their provisions and to them it seemed obvious that they were from a faraway place and so they made the treaty with them and then they found out that they were a nearby group of people. They didn't take time to ask God but because they made that promise they were obligated to fight for them and they proved to be an irritation to Israel for literally centuries even down to the time of Saul when he killed some of them and God had to punish them. The application here is always take time to seek God's will, no matter what the pressure. If it's God's will, you will have time to make a decision. Oftentimes, when people pressure us, pressure us, pressure us, either we're not being told the truth, or there's something that we need to check out, whatever it is, don't move forward until you have God's peace in whatever that situation is. The next lesson is that achieving God's goals takes time and strategy. The Israelites, when they went into the land, they divided it up, they conquered it part by part. It took, as I said earlier, seven years. We read through the book rather quickly, and we think this happened quickly, but seven years is a really long time to keep fighting, especially if you were one of the younger children that grew up for 40 years in the desert, and then now you have to fight for seven more until you can rest. The application here is pretty obvious. Victories are seldom won quickly. It takes a long time to achieve anything of significance. I read a thing recently or, or heard it, I don't I don't know, I listened to different podcasts and different things myself and read stuff where they talked about setting big goals but being very careful to focus on small wins. What they meant by that set a big goal perhaps for what you want to do for the Lord and then day by day work on it. It's like that when you're losing weight. I'm trying to lose weight now and I'm on this program where yes I have a goal of what I want to lose but each day I focus on and I record what I'm eating each day because if I do the daily things correctly the big goal will take care of itself. And you see that's what Israel had to do is fight step by step, day by day, to conquer the land so strategy and time the next lesson and this is a sad one and that is that quitting the battle too soon can have lasting consequences they did not drive out the people completely and I'm going to give you several examples of this in Joshua 11:22, it says there were none of the Anakims left in the land of the children of Israel except only in Gaza Gath and in Ashdod. There they remained. Now, Gath, remember, is where Goliath came from. Had they gotten rid of all of the Anakim, and the Anakim were the race of giants. And David would not have had to fight Goliath had they taken care of it, but they didn't. And so it was a source of sin and misery throughout their entire history. And this area still is today. The name Gaza, you might that's, you might think, well, that sounds kind of familiar. That is the same area of the, as the Gaza Strip. And this area has been a source of continuous conflict and strife with Israel literally throughout their entire history. When you quit You're not the only one that suffers from it. You never know what you leave undone might cause in the life of someone who comes after you. Sadly, Gaza was not the only area. The Lord said to Joshua, There are still many nations to be conquered. Here is a list of the areas to be occupied, and he goes through a a huge list near the end of the book, and he says, And all the land of the Philistines. And God said, he promised again, he said, I am ready to drive these people out from before the nation of Israel. So include all this territory when you divide the land among the nine tribes and the half tribe of Manasseh as I have compared commanded you. Remember, there were uh, three tribes that were on the east side of the Jordan. That's why he he's, has nine. But sadly, what happened is they it they didn't drive him out. And then a couple of other verses, and there are numerous verses like this in the latter part of the book of Joshua. I'm only going to read a couple of them, and then I'll make the applications, where it says, Israel did not drive out the people of Jeshur and Maacah, so they continue to live among the Israelites to this day. But the tribe of Judah could not drive out the Jebusites, who lived in the city of Jerusalem. So the Jebusites live there among the people of Judah to this day. Now, little parentheses here, David did finally later drive them out. But they did not, um, it goes on to say, that they did not dislodge the Canaanites living in Gezer. To this day, the Canaanites live among the people of Ephraim, but are required to do forced labor. All of these people, the Philistines, the Canaanites, all of the different groups at one time or another will end up oppressing Israel. They will end up serving their gods. There will be no end of problems because they did not do what they were supposed to do when God first told them to do it. Charles Spurgeon has some, again, in his commentary on Joshua, has a section that is entitled, The Exactness of Obedience is the essence of obedience. God's command to Joshua at the start of the military campaign that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left. And what Spurgeon is saying, God says you have a very narrow way you're supposed to live. You're supposed to do what I tell you to do. But then Spurgeon goes on and he says, a money-loving shopkeeper must uh, might say as his excuse for doing what he could not otherwise defend, well, we must live, you know. But then the Christian might reply, yes, but we must die. And therefore, we must not do that thing. And then Spurgeon continues, and he says, he's kind of brutal here, there's no particular necessity for any of us living. We're probably better dead if we cannot live without doing wrong. He goes on to say the very essence of obedience, as I have said, lies in exactness. Probably your child, if sometimes disobedient, would still, as a general rule, do what you told him to do. It would be in the little things that thoroughgoing and commendable obedience would appear. Let the world judge of this for itself. Here is an honest man, do people say of him, he is such an honest man that he would never steal horse? No, that would not prove him to be very honest, but they say he would not even take a pin that did not belong to him. That is the world's own description of honesty, and surely, when it comes to obedience to God, it ought to be the same. If I profess to obey the Lord Jesus Christ, the crucial test will not be in great actions, but in little ones. My dear brethren, I wish the Christian church really thought this. There are some very important applications here because it is often at the end of a big project or a difficult trial that we want to quit. But that's the time we press through, we press ahead, we do the one more thing that needs to be done. And it doesn't matter if we don't feel like doing it. That's one of the things that we really need to train children in, is you don't do things because they're fun. You don't do things because it always feels good. You do what needs to be done to finish the task, to do what God wants you to do. In Jesus' life, imagine if he'd lived his perfect life, if he'd healed, he'd preached, but then he didn't go to the cross. And it crossed his mind not to. He said before his death, you know, Father, if you can take this away from me, please do. And God, of course, no, you've got to finish the task. And so it says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured he suffered death on the cross to complete his work for us. There's always, always, always going to be that temptation to quit. But that is not what we're called to do. Let me read you just this this great example of perseverance. I've heard it before. You may have also. But um, it it's about the Olympic marathon runner Awarki, and he was from Tanzania. He was the only one from his country um, in the Olympic marathon in 1968. It was up in Mexico City, and because of the high altitude, he cramped up, he fell badly, he wounded his knee, and he dislocated his shoulder, but he continued running. He finished last well over an hour behind the winner of the race, and when they asked him why he continued to run, he replied, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. And we're also called to finish our race. In Hebrews, it tells us, therefore, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of his faith. And I repeated this verse earlier, but who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart and then now a few more encouraging lessons. We're never too old for God's victories. Caleb, we know, went into the land and he was 85 years old, and he says here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong as the day Moses sent me out, as vigorous to go out and do battle. And he goes up to Joshua and he says, I want Kiriath Arba. That's the land I want. That's the city I want. And so uh, Joshua said, Hey, go for it. Now, what is really interesting is Kiriath Arba got its name from the greatest man among the Anakites. In other words, this was the city of the biggest and the baddest giants in the land, and for 40 years, Caleb had just been waiting to get that, and he wasn't just going to take some quiet little village. No, he wanted to go after the biggest, baddest, the city that was known for being the one of the giants, and he took it. And renamed it Hebron. His story is such a great reminder that age is absolutely irrelevant to the eternal people of God. Moses wasn't even called till he was 80. When Abraham was 99, God said, walk before me and be perfect. God has also called people who are very young. Uh, Paul said to Timothy, let no one despise your youth. Again, age means absolutely nothing in the service of God. But if we are old One more lesson, and this one comes from Joshua where near the end of his life he delivers a sermon that's very similar to the one that Moses gave, but it's, it's quite a bit shorter where he goes over what God has done, what he expects, what his blessings will be, and, of course, what the discipline will be if they do not obey God. And he ends with that statement that I'm sure many of you have heard before, where he challenges the people on whether they are going to serve the gods of the land or they will serve the Lord God. And he says, "...but for me and my house." we will serve the Lord. And the application here, of course, is what words, what challenges are you leaving for the people that will come after you? One of the reasons that I'm doing this podcast is because there are a number of people in my life that I love very much who they're not able to come to the Sunday school classes that I teach, but a podcast is something that they can listen to, and they have actually asked me to to do it and so one of the reasons that I'm doing it is for them and when the Lord decides to take me home they will have something that I will leave for them it's teaching for them and there's a lot of other things that you can do you don't have to do a podcast although they're really easy to do and on my effective church communications website I will be doing I I don't promise it right away but I'm going to be doing some training on how to do these but you can write things down you can write letters you can challenge them while you're alive. Not only people younger than you, but the people around you. They need to be encouraged to do well, to do right, to do the things of God. And you might be the only one to bring in that viewpoint in a situation. I'd like to end with some final words of encouragement from Matthew Henry, where he says, we only bear the cross for a while, but we shall wear the crown to eternity. We should not pray so much for the removal of an affliction, but for wisdom to make right use of it. Not only for our spiritual growth, but for those around us and those who will come after us. I hope that these lessons from the book of Joshua will help you, that you'll remember them, so that you can fight and win in the battles for the Lord that He gives us for both our good and His glory. That's all for now. Please check out the notes from this lesson. They're in downloadable PDF format on the www.bible805.com website. And please sign up for the newsletter. I'm working on getting some more material up there, some resources, blogs, and other things that I think you'll, you'll find really helpful as you study God's Word. Please encourage your friends to listen to these podcasts and share it with them because we want everyone, all of the people that we're associated with to really grow in their knowledge of God's Word. And this is a pretty easy way to do it. Until next time, I'm Yvonne Pratt, your fellow pilgrim, writer, and teacher for Jesus. And I'd like to close with this benediction. May you know the invitation of God to move from confusion to clarity, from wandering to rest, from loneliness to knowing you are loved from turmoil to peace, from wherever you are on your spiritual journey to a growing knowledge of God's Word and in your personal relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.